Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. We ask you to take this service and use it to your honor and glory. Work in our hearts and our lives. Encourage us to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. No. We have finished Psalm 119. And let's go to the book of 2 John. And in the back of your Bible, we have three little books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, all written by John the Apostle. And uh, we take our Thursday night time, uh, Thursday night time together for a time of Bible study. And so... Uh, being that uh, I'll be gone next Thursday night, I was looking for something we could try to attack and maybe even finish in one lesson. We, we will see uh, if, if I can keep from getting caught on some other things and try to get through uh, this book. Uh, it is a wonderful little book. In fact, let's just read the whole book here. First, the second epistle of John the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full the children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Now, one of the things that people love to do with little books like this is they love to take and they love to say, well, the book is really not written to a specific person. It's written to a church. Well, can somebody else find me? other than the reference to the church as a whole being the bride of Christ in the book of Revelation, where it talks about a church being a lady. Uh, not, not in your King James Bible, let me tell you that. And, and they want to go through and they want to change uh, the scope of the book. It, it was interesting. 
uh, I ran into our favorite little phrase, the oldest and best manuscript, several times, uh, said that uh, verse 9, look to yourselves that we, they said, oh, we should not be in there, it should be you. Uh, but let me ask you a question. It's we all the way through the book. Why would we change it in verse 9 and leave it there uh, in the others? It, it's just simply another way to attack the message of this book. It's very, very simple. And a lot of questions that we face today uh, would readily be solved just by looking at the words of this little text the elder unto the elect lady. Now, John, when he identifies himself in Scripture, uh, he usually, uh, in fact, I don't know of any time where he's, uh, other than the book of Revelation, where he says, I, John, almost everywhere else in, in the book of John, the gospel of John, he denoted himself as the beloved disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. Here he calls himself the elder, now, this again is just a thought. Uh, couldn't find it in any of the commentaries that I looked at. Uh, John, as far as we know and understand church history and the history of the Bible, was the longest lived of the apostles. Uh, Paul had been martyred about 68 AD. The book of Revelation was written as far as we know, depending on whose calendar you use, somewhere between 95 and 105 A.D. Now, this is just a thought from your preacher. Could it not be that John was the only apostle alive when he wrote this letter? That he would refer to himself as the elder, the last of the apostles. Uh, it fits. We're not transgressing Scripture, nor am I going to be dogmatic and say, boy, I thought of this. This is really good, you know, uh, because we don't want our attention drawn to men. We want it drawn to the Scripture. He said the elder and the best and simplest understanding is the person to whom he wrote. He had a very close relationship with who would have known exactly from whom this letter was coming. I mean, sometimes uh, people will use, uh, we call them pet names. And, and when they know someone very well, they'll maybe write, uh, um, I'm not going to try to suggest anything, but uh, oftentimes husbands and wives will, uh, your little love bug or something like that. And and people, family members and things like this who know each other. John apparently knew this person very well. And as we go on, we're going to find that both John and the woman to whom he wrote this letter were probably known very well in the church. Now, don't try to figure out who this woman is. Uh, if you read any commentary, it'll say, well, the Greek word for lady is, and it gives the Greek word and says, it's the equivalent for the word Martha, and that was to whom he wrote the book. Um, I, I'm going to trust our tr King James translators and leave the elect lady unnamed. 
but we're going to find out that both John and her were very well known in testimony in the church. And this is why John says, Whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Everyone that knew the testimony of Jesus Christ knew of this person. Now, the reason why I don't go there and say, well, that should be Martha's name there, is because as far as we know, Martha and Mary were what we would call spinsters or uh, single ladies that never married and have children. And so here we have a woman that has children. And it says, I'm writing to her and her children whom I love in the truth and not I only uh, and not I only but also they that have known the truth now this is where I've gotten the title for this book for the truth's sake this is what John was writing about when you see John in his in his letters to these first second and third John the theme over and over and over again is the truth now, if you'll remember, when we did our study on the history of our Bible and the text from which it came from, contrary to popular belief, they want to teach that, oh, the Bible was virtually intact for the first little bit, and then by and by, error crept in. And the reason why they like to do that is because they're trying to preserve their quote-unquote oldest and best manuscripts, which are only in existence because no one used them, because they were considered of inferior quality, they were, cons they were an inferior text, they were not used. Error crept into the church as soon as there was a church for error to creep into. Um, if you studied anything of the quote-unquote church fathers, and by the way, the only thing you had to do to be a church father was to have lived in olden times and have written things down that were preserved to the modern day. And uh, if you've studied anything the great demon of all the church fathers is a man named Origen. How many of you have ever heard him? Uh, that name mentioned. And, and they want to attribute to this man every error and every problem that we know of today. And, and I want to challenge you that Origen was a really rotten guy. But he was not the originator of false doctrine. He was a coalator. Of false doctrine. What he did was he went through and he found all of the errors and all of the problems that were in the early church and he put them together. In fact, uh, some people believe that he may be responsible for the oldest and best manuscripts actually copying them out with his own hand or the hand of the scribes under his direction. We do not know, but I want, you to t I want you to understand error was before origin. Error was being fought against. Why did Paul write two letters to the Corinthian church? 
because there were problems in the Corinthian church. Why did he write the letter to the Galatian church? In fact, if you want the roots of what became the Orthodox and later on the Roman Catholic church, you'll find it in the book of Galatians. Every error that is there is the foundational cornerstones of what would become the Roman Catholic Church. How many of you have ever met your friendly neighbor, neighborhood Jehovah's Sicknesses? I mean, they walk around, they're right here in the book of Second John. They're addressed personally. It's not a new doctrine. Judge Russell wasn't, he came up with most of the individual things, but the idea that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God is not original with Judge Russell. And by the way, if you stop by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, uh, year, several years ago we took uh, one of the inner city missions class on tour. And uh, I called them up and I said, now listen, I'm a Baptist preacher. I got a group of college students out here for class and, and we'd like to tour your place. And they said, oh, that would be fine. They got a special guide. Uh, one that was well-trained because they were afraid what questions we were going to ask and what trouble we were going to make. And the funny thing is, they had a speech all prepared. And in the speech, the tour guide told us, now you understand, about 90% of the teachings of Judge Russell are no longer part of the Watchtower Track and Bible Society. And that's true because they've changed the doctrines. In fact, we're even discussing, and I don't know if they've made a decision yet, they're trying to figure out whether Jesus really is God or not. They're still working on that. And they are closer to agreeing with the Bible position than they are to disagreeing, at least at the last point I was informed of of their negotiations. But uh, let me tell you something, don't get worried. Uh, the, this book will answer that question, all right? Uh, but what we have here is we have simply John, the apostle, writing to a well-known Christian lady of whom he had had association. He is writing for the truth's sake. You know, this is why you hear me. Every time we get together, the Bible, what is true, what is not, the Bible defines the truth for us. All we have is the Word of God. Now, what you believe about this book is important. I was discussing with a pastor here in New York City and and uh, it wasn't a nice discussion. And uh, he's saying, well, why, why don't you recommend our church? I said, because you don't believe the Bible. And he was like, what do you mean? I, I believe the Bible. Don't you believe? And he named another pastor. And I, I said, that's not the guide. It's not what some other pastor believes. It's what the Bible says. And he said, well, I want you to know that I've made some changes. I said, well, I'm glad. He says, I'm even comfortable with the Texas Receptus. 
I said, well, I'm glad you're comfortable, but I want you to know that there's an impassable gulf between being comfortable with the Texas Receptus and believing that it's the very word of God. There, there is disagreement here. And, and we're not going to compromise what is true so we can get along with somebody else here on earth. I want to be ready to get along with God when I get to heaven. And it's not pleasant to have disagreements. I, I know some of you think that I'm just looking for them because I enjoy fighting with other people. I, I do not. That's why I like to keep my head buried right here at our church. What's going on here? Uh, I'm, I'm not real interested in what's going on everywhere else because it's not my job to correct another pastor. It's my job to take care of what goes on here. But it's my job to warn you what is truth and what is not. And by the way, if we do not have an authoritative copy of the Word of God, then how in the world are we able to discern what is true and what is not? We put ourselves at the mercy of scholarship. And let me tell you, no one can confuse things more and make the clear less understood than scholarship. Now, we're not for being ignorant. But true scholarship starts at the Word of God. For the truth's sake, you can attend, and some of you attended churches for years and years and years, and never had someone sit you down and just tell you how to be saved the Bible way. You can attend church and even good, quote-unquote, Baptist churches. I've, I've been in a, uh, uh, not been in them, I've, I've talked to people who've been in them and said, well, pastor, it's the same sermon every Sunday morning. How to be saved. And I'm, I'm glad I know how to be saved and I rejoice. But there's more to the Christian life. God did not save you just so you can be saved. He saved you to live for him. And how you're going to live for him is you have to know what is true and what is not. By the way, who is truth? Jesus is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot separate the written word from the living word. You cannot separate the living truth from the written truth. You cannot separate God's revelation to mankind from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must have both. And if you don't, you have neither. He says, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us. Who's that talking about? The Lord Jesus Christ. But I thought the Holy Spirit dwelled in us. Well, he does. Amen. In fact, let's, let's take a minute here since I brought up that little confusion and, and let the Bible sort it out for us. John chapter 15, 14, I'm sorry. 
John chapter 14. The reference is here, so you can look it up later, but let's just take a minute here and and, uh, go through this. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. And I, I'm sorry, um, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. What's the next phrase say? I will come unto you. He says, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. He says, but I'm going to come into you, come to you yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So, we see, and we could read on, the Comforter is the Holy Ghost. Jesus is going to send the Holy Ghost. That's what happens the moment you get saved. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. He seals you. He keeps you. Yet Jesus said, I'm going to come to you. Here, he, Then he goes on to say, I and the Father are going to make our abode with you. And this proves a point that has been argued since the earliest time of church. Can you have Jesus Christ without having the Holy Spirit and God the Father? You cannot. If you get God, you get all of them. It's just that simple. You say, how does... uh..." Now, you have two choices. One is you can trust scholarship and the theology books. The other is you can just trust God. Now, I'm glad God's bigger than up here. Amen. I'm glad that my God is so big that I don't need to figure him out. I can trust in him. And I can't explain it all, but... John is telling us in this second epistle that he is writing for the true sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. What did Jesus tell his apostles? All power is given unto me both in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And he ends that with, well, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. There's the work of the church right there. Evangelism, baptism, and discipleship. You've got to do them all. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It's still here. He's still here. The truth has not changed. Truth cannot change. 
If you change the truth, then it becomes something else. Are we all together on that? Truth cannot be changed if it's true. And we have people that want to talk all the time. I remember once when I was a kid, we had a man who said, I'm going to break the rules of gravity. I'm going to walk on water. And I can't believe it, but Channel 2 News there in Baltimore, Maryland, when I was in a kid, set out a camera crew to watch this guy. Now, if you've ever been to Baltimore, there's this place called the Back River. And uh, I don't know where it got its name, but you don't need to do miracles to walk on the Back River. It's so full of trash that you could just walk right across and never get your feet wet. But he was actually in the Inner Harbor... I mean, there's water there. Ships float in it. And he got himself a pair of styrofoam pontoons and strapped them to his feet and skidded around in the water and said, I'm walking on the water. And they actually put that on the news broadcast. You see, he was no more walking on water. He was floating in the water. You can't change the truth even though you pretend to. The truth's sake, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I don't know how else to say that, say this, but you attack this book, you're attacking the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be careful about that. I don't want to play with God's words. And, of course, the more you study the Bible, the more you see of your wrong things. Isn't that true? I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, the more you study about the Bible, the more you see your own sinfulness. Because the more you understand about God's holiness, the more you understand how far below that standard we are. And so the writer is writing, he says, for the truth's sake. And then he says, I want grace to be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Now, verse 3 is the typical Christian greeting. In fact, it wouldn't hurt for us to adopt some of these things instead of, hi, how are you? How about grace be with you? That means something now, doesn't it? We need grace. The writer of the book of Hebrews talked about people who fell short of the grace of God. It wasn't because God's grace wasn't there. It's because they refused to let it work in their life. We need God's grace every day. We need to be reminded that grace comes to us not because we deserve it, but because God is good. Grace is unmerited favor. It is our undeserved blessings. And sometimes we get the idea that somehow we deserve those blessings. And when we do, we offend a holy God. Grace is what we do not deserve. Mercy now, we've been over this many times, but mercy is what the vanquished receives from the victor. 
It is that daily surrender, that death of self, that we receive God's mercy. He forgives us because we keep going back to Him and claiming our failure and His victory. Amen? Don't ever get past. Don't ever get past your failure and God's victory. You can always go back. And I don't care how depressed and sad and worked up you are about all the things going on, on, going on in your life and around you. If you'll start remembering what mercy is, it'll encourage you. It'll help you understand. I don't have this because I am somebody. I have this because God went one and I surrendered to him willingly and let him give me his mercy. And then you can have peace. They come in order. Grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. Amen. Mercy, that's how we live. Peace, that's what we get. When you have peace with God, what more do you want? When you have peace with God, then you can have the peace of God ruling in your heart. And no matter what's going on around you, the turbulence of this world in which we live, hey, God and I have everything right between us. Let's walk forward with Him. Nothing else matters at that point now, does it? By the way, you'll never have peace with another human being. Real peace until you get God's peace first. That's the only way you can put up with another human being. You ever thought about that? God gave me his mercy because I quit fighting. I surrendered. Now I got peace with God. And I can put up with other human beings. Isn't that a wonderful truth? This is the greeting of the Christian. And our peace comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he makes another statement here. The Son of God, I mean the Son of the Father in truth and love. Now, we can already see just in his introduction the problem that is being faced, the issue that he is wanting to deal with in this a short little letter here, is the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity of Christ was attacked from the earliest times in the church. They were trying to say that he was not fully God or, or that he was not fully man. They just went back and forth. Or he became God when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That was about the last thing he said. Um, they have all of these strange little things that were coming up. And if we just tried to spend, uh, if we just try, if I tried to bring forth to you all of the errors about the person of Jesus Christ, we'd be here for a month of Thursday nights just trying to list and categorize all of the wrong opinions, quote unquote, the church has had about Jesus Christ. Can I challenge you? Jesus' church cannot, never has, never will hold 
the wrong understanding of who Jesus is. It's not possible. And we'll get ahead just a little bit because we're not going to finish this tonight. Never finish anything the first time through. We'll just take our time. But the you come down here, look, look with me here to um, uh, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Do you get that? If you're wrong about who Jesus is, you are not saved. You're wrong about everything. Now, the reason I bring this up is because people want to trace, quote unquote, church history through a church that took 451 years to figure out who Jesus was. And we have... Preachers today that claim to preach and understand the Bible and they want to go back and they want to quote the church fathers at the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D. because finally the quote-unquote Catholic church or the old church got it right on the deity of Christ. We would not argue with the finding of the Council of Chalcedon's Definition of who Jesus was. He was holy God at the same time being holy man. Amen? I mean, we can't argue with that point. But the point I want you to understand is by the time the church, quote unquote, finally figured out who Jesus is, so many other errors had already crept in that you couldn't be saved in that church. If you went hunting with it, with a pack of bloodhounds and a battalion of marines, you're just never going to find it. The church was already passed. And by the way, when God blows out your candlestick, he doesn't relight it. It's done. These churches had already passed. And here we have John. 400 years before, writing and saying, listen, if you don't understand the truth about Jesus, that he is the son of the father in truth and love, you are not saved. Don't allow yourself to think that just because someone goes to church and talks about Jesus that they have salvation. That's what John is writing here. He says, I rejoiced greatly that I found thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now, he's speaking to this woman and he said, I found of thy children. He said, I've been doing a little research here Maybe he bumped into them in different places as he did his travels and went different places serving God. And we, we believe that John in the book of Revelation ended up on the Iowa Patmos. Uh, I believe that's in the Aegean Sea um, uh, off the coast of uh, what is now Turkey. Uh, he said for the testimony of Christ. He had been exiled. The Isles of Patmos, as far as we understand, was just a rock. 
They were trying to isolate him from people because he taught people. That was his testimony. And he said, I found of thy children, in verse 4, walking in truth. Now that's a testimony. That's the testimony I want of, of the children God has given us in our family. That's the testimony I want of the children, if we can look at it that way, that God has given our church as we see other churches organized and, and moving forward. We want the testimony that they believe the Bible. You know what? Uh, well, let's get on. I'm going to um, skip this point if I don't get it. We've got just a few minutes. I'm trying to be careful here that I don't run on too long. It says, we received a commandment. Now, verse 5, it says, Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now, you'll notice that he's using the personal pronoun here. I wrote, uh, said, but that which we, now we includes me. John is including himself in this with this woman to whom he is writing. He said, we had this commandment from the beginning. And the inference there is, the simple understanding of those words is that back when this whole thing started, John and this woman had the very teachings of Jesus Christ from his mouth. He taught these words to the disciples as they were moving to the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, let's just read John 13, 34. It says, A new commandment, does that, make, does that sound like what John just wrote? A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. Let's go back to the second epistle of John and it says in verse 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. He was quoting Jesus' very words. Jesus made it a new commandment that night. He's saying, it's not new now. It's what we've had from the beginning. And I want you to get a hold of this because it is just simply the Bible. There are no new commandments. There are no new approaches we are to walk after his commandment. The only commandment that we had, what did Jesus tell the Pharisee, the learned doctor of the law? Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. And the second commandment is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. For upon all these hang the law, for upon these hang all the law and the prophets. You cannot have love and not have obedience to God's commandments. That's what verse 6 is all about. 
And this is love that we walk after his commandment. Commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. It's just that simple. Let's not try to find all these new things that everybody's finding in the scriptures. Let's try to be obedient to what's already been written down. How many of you could think of at least one person that you could love a little more? I think every one of us could, couldn't we? And this is talking primarily about our brothers and sisters in the body of the local church. I'll tell you what, we could all work on that. There is more that we can do. But, you know, the greatest way I can love other people is personally obeying God's Word. If I'm personally obedient to God's Word, guess what? It's going to make me love other people. It's going to make me love the people who are struggling the same struggle. That's what molds us together in the bond of the spirit of love is obedience to God's word. By the way, what is worship all about? Obedience to God's word. What is faith all about? Do I have to say it again? Obedience to God's word. Amen. You cannot separate these things. It's all the same thing. And you can look in all the theology books that have been ever written, the deepest Bible studies that have ever, you can't get any deeper than what we just did. Making the connection between the person, the word, and our obedience. That is where you're going to find love. That's where you're going to find peace. That's where you're going to find mercy. That's where you're going to find contentment. That's where you're going to find all the things that you've ever desired is in obedience to God's Word. And that's the answer that John brings in this short little letter. He's saying, he's addressing this lady. He said, I'm rejoicing greatly. I am full of joy because your children are walking in the commandments. They're not out there trying some new approach. They're not giving up uh, what they have learned so that they can be a part of the new school Christianity or the neo this or neo that. What we're trying to do is just obey what Jesus said at the beginning. No new commandments. Though they were new the night Jesus gave them. The apostles did not understand all of those things yet. But they would, and they did, and they lived them. And all God's people says. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us tonight. We ask you to help us as we investigate this little book. Lord, that we would not treat it as a little book. That you would allow us to take time to see the great issues to which it addresses. And Lord, that you would help us to simply love one another more and live for you. We ask for your grace, 
that we may serve Thee. In Jesus' name we pray. And Let's just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll have a verse of a hymn of invitation. The altar's open. If you'd like to slip out and come and pray.